0: you have a Bible, please open to the book of Revelation and chapter 5. The book of Revelation, chapter 5, uh, after the events of this week, I was thinking I might have to change my Christmas series from Christmas in the Apocalypse to Christmas in the Ark. <laughs> uh, quite uh, a deluge of rain during the week, but glad that everyone's safe and sound today. Revelation chapter 5. and I'm going to begin by reading uh, all f- 14 verses. Uh, please I follow along in your Bible as I read aloud. Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book, and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold the line of the tribe of Judah, The root of David hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odours, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred, and tongue, and people, and nation." and dismayed us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honour, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing, and honour, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down, and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious portion of Scripture and it is our privilege to study it today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand what is written herein. We pray that today he would give us a fresh vision of your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we commit ourselves now into your hands in his name. Amen. One way of thinking about the book of Revelation is that it is a history of the future. I came across this idea in my study this week and I think it's very helpful. We are given a history of the future from chapter 6 onwards. John is shown God's plan of judgment for this world as it unfolds, culminating in the return of Christ, the establishment of his kingdom and then the new heavens and the new earth. Chapters 4 and 5 are the prologue to that history. They set the scene, if you will. And more importantly, they demonstrate Christ's authority to execute the judgment of God. In chapter 4, John is taken up in the Spirit into heaven, to the very throne of God. And Brother Steve read this chapter to open our service. In verse 2, John sees one sitting on the throne. In verse 3, he gives a description. It says, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. There is a brilliant array of colours, shining, shining, from this person. Fiery red, crystalline colour, a crystalline colour, perhaps like that of a diamond, and and a green that then diffuses into all the colours of a rainbow that surrounds the throne, or, or something like that. It's quite a description. And out of the throne comes flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. The person sitting on the throne is identified as the Lord God Almighty. And when we get to chapter 5, we're told that he is holding something in his right hand. Chapter 5, verse 1, if you'd like to cast your eye there, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written, and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now this is a scroll, and we're told that it was sealed with seven seals. Uh, We might think of it as having seven rubber bands around it, holding it together and it can't be unrolled unless those rubber bands are broken. Now, more likely these were seals made with wax, but you get the idea. Now, the question is, what is the scroll? What does it contain? I think the simplest answer is one that's disclosed to us in the chapters that follow. Revelation chapter 6, when the seals begin to be broken, judgments occur. Turn over to chapter 6, please. Beginning reading at verse 1, it says... And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him, and I, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the beast say, Come and see, and behold, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, and so on it goes... When the seventh seal is opened, that ushers in another series of judgments. Turn over to chapter 8, verse 1, please. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, that is the seventh seal on that scroll, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Down to verse 6. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared to sound, the first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. They were cast upon the earth and the third part of trees was burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. The third part of the sea became blood and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And when you get to the seventh angel and he sounds his trumpet, he ushers in another series of judgments which are described in chapters 16 through 19. So we have this unfolding series of judgments that begin with the seals being broken. It's as if the seals are broken, the scroll is unrolled, and what's written down therein is what takes place. As I said, I think the simplest explanation as to the identity of the scroll is the one the biblical text gives us. Uh, One author explains it this way, The scroll contains the counsels of God, as revealed in the visions beginning at chapter 6. Viewed from God's perspective, these are the judgments that will fall upon the earth during a relatively brief period, eventually at their conclusion, issuing in the coming of the promised Messiah and his kingdom. Now, the question that we are concerned with today is the one that is posed by an angel in our text. Revelation chapter 5, verse 2, it says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Who is worthy to open the book? It's vitally important that we understand what the angel is actually asking. Because it explains what follows in the chapter. The angel is not simply asking who is worthy to read what's written in the scroll. He is not asking who is worthy to describe God's unfolding plan of judgment or who is worthy to inform the world about the contents of the scroll. We know the angel is asking much more than that because of what we read in the next verse. Verse 3 says, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. If you think about it, there were men who were given information about the judgments that are to come. God revealed great swathes of his plan to the prophets in the Old Testament. The Old Testament contains vivid descriptions of judgments and descriptions of Messiah's reign. Evidently, these Old Testament prophets were considered worthy to, as it were, read from God's book. Considered worthy to inform the world about God's plan. How is it then that no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book? Neither to look thereon. As I said, obviously the angel is talking about more than merely reading out the contents of the book. He is talking about being worthy to execute the contents of the book. He is asking who is worthy to put the counsels of God into operation? Who is worthy to carry out the judgments that God has prescribed? That's the question. And that's why no one was found. Who among the world of sinful men is worthy to pour out the judgment of God upon the earth? <laughs> Who is qualified to do that? Who is deserving of that authority? You? <laughs> Me? The saintliest person you can think of? No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book. to look thereon. Verse 4, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. When no one was found who was able to open the book, John burst into tears. He began to sob audibly, loudly. This was unrestrained, heartfelt emotion. Why? Why? because he really wanted to know what was in the scroll and was upset that he wasn't going to be able to find out? I don't think so. That sounds more like a spoiled child than the wise old apostle. Rather, John weeps because he is overcome with the thought that God's plan has been frustrated, That, that what God's people have longed for is not going to happen. R.H. Mounts puts it this way, John was not weeping for his own sake, but over the apparent indefinite postponement of God's final and decisive action. He might be sitting there wondering what on earth this has to do with Christmas. (laughs) We're in the middle of our Christmas series, right? The connection to the Christmas story. It's found in the words of the elder who comforts the weeping apostle and in what the apostle goes on to see. Someone is worthy to open the book. Someone is worthy to execute the judgment of God upon the earth and we're told why he is worthy. Verse verse 5 says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now this person is called the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, and this tells us that he is worthy because of his heritage. His heritage. These two titles indicate that this person who is worthy to open the book is a man. Not an angel. He has human forebears. These titles speak of his identity in terms of his ancestry. The line of the tribe of Judah is a reference right back to the very first book in the Bible, to Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob is blessing his sons. This is what he says to Judah, verses 8 to 11. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp; that is, a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall all the gathering of the people be." Judah and his descendants are likened to a lion. And his would be the royal tribe. Uh, Jacob's other children and their descendants would bow down to Judah. The scepter, that symbol of authority, would always belong to Judah and his descendants. The person referred to in our text is the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The greatest son of Judah the one we talked about last week who holds that scepter made of iron he is also called the root of David and this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 11 not only is he of the royal tribe he is of the royal family a descendant of Judah and a descendant of King David read Isaiah chapter 11, we are left in no doubt who this is. This is God's anointed one. This is the Messiah, the King of Israel and the King of Kings. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, that's King David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Verse 10 And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, to which shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest. Should be glorious. His heritage, his ancestry, who he is by birth, makes him uniquely worthy to open the book. He is God's anointed king, God's own son. He is the one the Old Testament speaks of extensively. And when we get to Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapters 1, 2, and 3, what do we see? Well, we see a young woman from the tribe of Judah and a descendant of King David. Luke gives her genealogy in chapter 3. An angel visits her and says, Fear not, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. It also happens that the man this young woman is engaged to is also of the tribe of Judah and a descendant of King David. We won't go through the story today, but they end up travelling to where? (laughs) To Bethlehem, the very place where King David was from. The place the prophet Micah had spoken of 700 years before. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And there this young woman has the child and lays him in a manger, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Without the Christmas story, you don't get the rest of the story. You don't get to our text in Revelation where we see the world on the cusp of judgment. On the cusp of being renewed in righteousness without the Christmas story, there is no one worthy to open the book to bring the counsels of God to their final and glorious fulfilment. But it's not just his heritage that makes him worthy, it's also his humility. And this is perhaps the most striking feature of this chapter. The elder comforts the weeping apostle with this good news that the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the book. The root of David has loosed the seals. There is someone worthy. The culmination of God's purposes for his people and for this world will come to pass. Now we don't know what John was thinking at this moment when he heard this wonderful news. What comes to mind when you hear these titles mentioned in verse 5? Like me, you probably think of a powerful, majestic lion. Perhaps you think of Aslan. What a fitting symbol for the Messiah. Or perhaps you think of a king dressed in royal splendour with a scepter in his hand, the ruler in Isaiah chapter 11 who will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and slay the wicked with the breath of his lips. But when this person, Mary's child, comes to take the book from the right hand of God, what does John see? Verses 6 and 7. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a lamb not even a full-grown sheep and one that has been grievously wounded a lamb that is standing that it's alive but that looks like it has been killed its wool is stained with blood there is a wound across its neck, where the sacrificial knife has done its work. The imagery doesn't seem to fit the splendour of the scene, does it? (laughs) We would expect to see a noble lion or a resplendent king approaching the throne of God to take the book, but instead it's a bleeding, defenceless lamb. The contrast is jarring. Almost shocking, and yet, it's perfect, isn't it? It's perfect. Before he judges the world, he laid down his life to save the world. And that's why he and he alone is worthy. Verse 8, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, and golden vials, full of odours, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for or because thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Verse 10, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We understand what the imagery of a lamb represents. It runs all the way through the scriptures. We understand how it speaks of sacrifice, of atonement, of redemption. But it also speaks of humility. A lamb is weak, a lamb is helpless, a lamb is in an altogether different class to a lion. One is a predator and the other is prey. And this is the Gospel. It's right here before us in our text. The lion is the lamb. The king of kings is the servant of all. He has obeyed the one sitting upon the throne. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. If thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done, he says in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Son of the Highest goes all the way from heaven's glory to Bethlehem's manger, to Pilate's hall, to Calvary's cross. And that's what makes him worthy. He gives his own blood to redeem those fallen in sin. He opens the way for sinners to be reconciled to God. And he says, whosoever will may come. Who else is qualified? Who else is deserving? Who else could rightfully approach the throne and take in hand the book of God's judgment? No one. No one. What is represented here in Revelation chapter 5 is what was taught by Jesus and the apostles. Jesus said this in John chapter 5 verses 26 and 27, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Jesus is the man that God has ordained to judge the world in righteousness, Paul said to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Peter said the same thing to Cornelius and his household in Acts chapter 10. Jesus is the one who God has ordained to judge the quick and the dead. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to him and it's because of who he is, his heritage, and because he is humbled himself because he is the lion and he is the lamb when you think about Joseph and Mary and the child Jesus this Christmas don't let this pass you by that there in the manger is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world The humility of the circumstances into which Jesus was born speaks of his own humility, of his willingness to come to us, to enter into our world, and to give up his life for our sakes. And the lesson we ought to draw as we ponder this is the one Paul challenged his readers with in Philippians chapter 2 when he wrote on this very subject. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We often think of peace and joy and love as being the themes of Christmas, and they are, but so is humility. The nativity scene presses home to us the message that an essential part of following Jesus is being humble, giving way to others. Lowering ourselves to help those in need. Not insisting that I get what I want when I want it. Not always having to have the last word. Not being stubborn and proud and annoying. (laughs) We could all do with more of this, couldn't we? More humility. Our marriages, our families, our church, our community would be greatly helped if we were more like Jesus in this regard. How humble are you? How humble are you? How willing are you to give way to others, to put others before yourself? Are you gracious and generous or are you selfish and proud? Do you insist on having the last word and having things your way What do you need to repent of? How do you need to change? Don't miss the message this Christmas time. Let the Lord have his way in your life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen.